Hey folks, welcome to a podcast about Catholic things. This is Eric, the Ambassador of Common Sense, and I'm here with... Dan, the Ambassador of Nonsense. Welcome everyone. And this is our fourth installment <laughs> of the dissection and answer to Pope Francis's uh, letter that he wrote, and... His attempt to legitimize uh, Traditionis Custodes yeah. or whatever, or justify whatever it is he's trying to do. And, and here's the thing. Our, so um, we have to talk about this first. First of all, we um, the plan was we're taking, we're taking all the things we're saying in this podcast and then some, and then we are going to put that in a book and have... Pope Francis's letter and scattered throughout there our comments on his letter. That was the plan. And it's something that, in a book, that people could buy. The problem is, I found out that the Vatican has all their, everything copyrighted. All the Pope's encyclicals are copyrighted. You can't reprint it. You'll get a lawsuit from the Vatican. And they have sued people for it. Can you so, imagine that? I, I, that's I mean, this, like, this is the Pope. Jesus says, go out and proclaim the gospel. And the, and, and imagine if that early church, first thing they did was write it up and slap a copyright on it. Yep. No. Nope. Start slapping people's wrists you for making copies. That. that. I mean, that's, that's, that's like what this church is doing. And, this modern and the, church. The weird thing is, that's always the accusation against Catholics is that we kept people from reading the Bible, that we somehow <laughs> limited People's access to the Bible, but we are doing that now. Yeah, we we never That's, actually did as a church, but the modern church is certainly following the spirit of that accusation. Yeah. So anyway, so here's the thing. I said, all right, well, I'll just rewrite the whole dang thing. I'll just go line by line and say this is what Pope Francis is trying to say, and then put our comments in there. But as I'm doing that. You, when you're looking at a document like this, you tend to go through it and find things that glare out to you and say, yeah, I want to comment on this. But when you actually have to rewrite it and you have to take each sentence and find a way to reword it so you have to understand what the sentence means, two things happen. Number one, you find out that Pope Francis is just an idiot. I, there's no one dumber than Pope Francis. Uh, number two, there is so much more wrong with this letter than we originally thought. Mm, yeah, I did yeah. one thing. Almost every sentence, I felt like no, this needs to be commented on. We let it go before, but hey, we got to say something about this. So there's a lot. Yeah. <clears throat> when we finally have this book, there's going to be a lot more in it than just these four podcasts that we what we have on our podcast yeah, yeah. although i i think and you know we'll, we'll still have to make that decision but i think you don't need to go and paraphrase everything i think we can each line that we intend to comment on slap quotes around it yeah give proper accreditation and then give our commentary on that because you are at least in american copyright law you're allowed to quote for the purpose of commenting and even yeah. for purposes like, um, like um, can't think of the doggone word, uh, satire stuff. Like oh that. yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so I we're not sure what we're going to do yet, but the one thing I am sure, there's a lot more in there than I originally thought. He's got a lot of mm-hmm. really bad stuff in this thing. He's got a lot of stuff that's very right, like we said originally. Things he keeps saying, things are true that are true, except that they don't point towards the new mass, they point towards the old mass. So it's like, I don't know, it's crazy. Oh. Um, I guess we'll get into it. We left off, we just finished paragraph 54 last week. Okay. And we're going to paragraph 55. Uh, there would be much more to say about the importance of presiding and what care it requires. On different occasions, I dwelt on the demanding duty of preaching the homily. Uh, is he talking about on different occasions he, he just sat and thought? Is he saying... I sit and think about this sometimes. Or is he saying that it's somewhere in this document? Um, Yeah, I don't know. But regardless, that's the one part of the Mass that we can pretty much do without. Yeah, we can throw that out. It would still be the whole Mass with nothing missing. And especially with um, with all the sexual deviance we're seeing in the priests and the bishops, this is definitely the part that we should do without. Because we don't yeah, need the words get... of these gays telling us how to live our lives. They shouldn't... Get the priest's uh, personal contributions out of the Mass, and the Mass will improve just by doing that. Yeah. Even, I, I mean, uh, even good priests. I, I'm fine with them not having a homily. I can't hear homilies yeah. anyway, because I, I have bad hearing. And then when you add the echo of a church, even if they're good speakers, mm-hmm. I just... I. I just say the rosary during the homily, but, um, yeah, that's, it's just, we don't need it. Um, paragraph 56. Yeah, that's an odd one. The priest lives his characteristic participation in the celebration in virtue of the gift received in the sacrament of holy orders. And this is expressed precisely in presiding. I, that's a goofy sentence. Lives his characteristic participation in the celebration. That's, he's not a participant. The priest, through holy orders, is the one who makes the Mass happen. Nobody has to be there except the priest for a Mass to happen. And without the priest, the Mass doesn't happen. Yeah. He's the one. He is the one who confects the Mass. Everybody else is there as a participant at attendee i've been to those little churches where where everybody's kind of sitting there and we're all looking at them apparently the priest hasn't shown up yet and we're all waiting and it's like he's a half hour late and he comes running in and it's like this has happened if the priest doesn't show up there's no mass we could read but there's no mass yeah no mass happens without the priest and if the priest is there and he says a mass nobody else needs to be there but he is the mass. I mean, he, he isn't personally the mass, but the priest's role is to make the mass by acting in the person of Christ, according to the sacrament of holy orders. Okay. But now the sentence says the priest lives his characteristic participation. In other words, whatever he does in the mass, he has to live this. And the celebration in virtue. So he lives a certain way in the celebration in virtue of the gift 
in virtue of the gift, I see. In celebration, yeah. in virtue of the gift that he got in holy orders. So he has to celebrate his role in mass. Is that what he's saying? I think maybe. I, I don't. It's he lives. I think the celebration means mass. So he lives his participation in the mass in virtue of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, th- and this is also weird. He, he ends the sentence, and this is expressed precisely in presiding. So the priest's act of presiding is just an expression of his characteristic participation in the celebration. Well, no, it isn't. The priest's act of presiding is the confection of the Mass itself. I mean, this this Pope really has, like, absolutely wrong-headed ideas about what the Mass is. I realized how completely wrong-headed he is as we were going through some mm-hmm. of the things last week. Yeah. Um, I, I okay, And here's the thing. Since we... Since last week, I've noticed a couple things that I, suspicions that I have that uh, I, I don't know if they're right or not, but I really don't believe that Pope Francis believes in the true presence. Yeah, when, when, when you read some of these things, you have to wonder. He says... Does he believe some, you know... I think Does it, he believe that the true presence is is really just an indwelling of Christ in the assembly, for example, or something goofy like yeah, that? Yeah, that's what it, that's the way he words things. That's beginning. I'm beginning to think that's what he thinks that the presence is the mass itself and our gathering in it, and somehow the Eucharist is involved here. But I never I. In this whole document, you don't see him say the word "true presence," or <clears throat> or he doesn't say the word uh, the words which you hear a lot when anyone's talking about the Eucharist: body, blood, soul, and divinity. Mm-hmm. He doesn't right. say that. I just that, and then I started looking at the way he says it, and he he see you're assuming that he's that when he says celebration. He's talking about um, the Mass itself. Because throughout this whole document, he uses the words, the celebration, the... Uh, and never that art of celebrating. Art that, of celebrating. Uh, that the term. supper. The bro- bread broken. Mm-hmm. He calls it the bread broken often. I don't know if he's talking about the Mass or communion itself. And then he calls it the... Uh, and here's another, we've talked about it before. He says the liturgy a lot. I right. At this which, point, I'm going to assume that he means the Mass. Okay. But right. And I, not the broader lit- liturgical body of... Because normally you would just say liturgy, not the liturgy, wouldn't you? You mm-hmm. wouldn't describe all these other <laughs> prayers as the liturgy. You would just liturgy. say liturgy. So... Yeah. If he yeah, says but when you the say liturgy. the liturgy, usually you mean the mass these days. So let's assume that's what he means. Yeah, I also have doubts about his sincere belief in the Holy Spirit as a person of the Trinity. Now, oh yeah, there was something. There was something he said earlier in this document that made me question that. Yeah, he kept saying the Spirit of the, and he would capitalize the word Spirit. And he also said that the Spirit's only role is to, uh, 
I can't remember how I put it. Changed the... like to bring about the real body of Christ in the church or something. It's he yeah. said something that if you take it on face value, it denies the Holy Spirit's role in the interior life of God. The, it, it denies that the Holy Spirit has a proper role in the interior life of God. That the Holy Spirit's only only role has to do with with creation, and that outside of creation there would be no reason for the Holy Spirit, or something like that. Something yeah. really, really heretical. Yeah. Um. Okay. He says, like, now here's is one instance when he says the Holy Spirit. It's the only time I can find in this document where he says the Holy Spirit. Uh, like all the yeah. roles, I, and I, I mean, even if he does, I, I again, I question, yeah, what I, he I even just, means by the Holy Spirit. I don't think he thinks. I don't think he means. He doesn't think of it the, the way same we way we do. Um, yeah, the you know, third person of the Trinity, co-equal with the Father and the Son. Yeah. Now he's you know, he's talking about one in the, substance, distinct in person, and so on and so forth. Yeah. So we're still in paragraph 56. He's talking about the priest presiding. He says, like all the roles he is called to carry out, this is not primarily a duty assigned to him by the community, okay, True. but is rather a consequence of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit received in ordination, which equips him for such a task. The priest is also formed by his presiding in the celebrating assembly. So he's saying, okay, it's like, and, and what's interesting, he says, this role of presiding is not primarily a duty assigned to him by the community. It's interesting because I think any pope prior to Francis, if they were writing this sentence, would say that the role of presiding at Mass is not at all a duty assigned to him by the community. Right. We didn't assign the priest to anything. That's, that, yeah. The, the priest's role at Mass is entirely his commission by the Holy Spirit and by the sacrament of holy orders. And that commission and Christ's command, do this in memory of me, is an assignment to us to go to the priest for the purpose of participating in Mass. Yeah. Now, I mean, it's like the fact that he even entertains this, he says, not primarily as though it could be to any degree at all an assignment by the community. And, you know, the other thing here is that he he had he's pointing out that the priest is formed by saying Mass. But he, the priest is formed by his presiding in the celebrating assembly. See, that's well, another thing. Yeah, it's maybe like, that's not what he means. Because it's, I mean, if... If, on the one hand, you, you would say, okay, a priest is formed through his celebration of the Mass, through his, you know, okay, uh, yeah, okay, you, you think of the, you know, these traditional priests, they go up and they celebrate Mass and they hold the host, the, the bread, and it turns into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus in their fingers, and they receive uh, the Eucharist every day. Uh, they act in the person of Christ to offer Jesus to the Father. Yes, that that has to form the priest. That that imprint when they do that day after day. Yes, absolutely, that imprints on the priest. We should hope as, as it should. But yeah. he's not talking about that. He's talking about 
in the celebrating assembly. He's talking about the priest being formed by us, the congregation, by the congregation imprinting itself, the assembly imprinting itself on the priest. That's kind that of what it sounds should like. Not be happening at all. Yeah, that that's that, that, that's idiotic. <clears throat> um, but you know, I, something else I would point out here. He's saying that it okay. It's either he's completely wrong because of what you just said, or he does mean that the priest is being formed by saying mass. And if he means that, I would point out that um, the our priests have gotten really like ridiculously sick since the new mass was forced on them. And it, it wasn't until kind of the rediscovery of the Tridentine mass that there's been any sort of slowdown in the decline of priestly morals. I mean, oh, that's right. You know, and it, it took the traditional movement to turn things around and anyone who could possibly deny this, uh, either they've got their head in the sand or, or they're, they are specifically part of the disease you know, that infects this that's, church. That's um, that's a a valuable insight that you just had. the um, The popularity, the 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 sort of, I mean, still very low in terms of numbers, but this yeah. growth in the popularity of the traditional mass, this return of interest. You know, among some Catholics, even just a few Catholics, I'll call it a remnant or whatever, yeah. in the traditional mass happened before all of this stuff started coming out about the, the sex scandals and the high oh, priests yeah. and everything else that's going on. And it's very likely in in spiritual terms and, you know, terms of, of powers and principalities, you know, the world unseen to us that... That's the causal connection by, you know, by coming back to this mass, just a few people returning to this form of the mass and the grace that it inspires and um, the efficacy of, of it as the right set of prayers to present Christ to the Father in that sacrifice, that those graces then poured out on the church and started bringing to light these these things that were going on, yeah, um, in in darkness. Yeah, and I mean, imagine what's going to happen when he takes if he takes it away again. Mm-hmm. The 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 it'll return to darkness. We'll cancer, lose those graces. The, yeah, it'll be people terrible. will go back to sleep and forget that the church is rotten. That that the not the church as the yeah. body of Christ, but the hierarchy of the church. As as a collection of men is rotten to the core. Yeah, um, yeah. So now, paragraph anyway. fifty seven. He said, "For this service to be well done," and then he says, "Indeed, with art is like like if it's going to be done with Again, art." We talked about that. Yeah, it, it's an idiotic <laughs> understanding of what. Yeah, it but is the a, art. The art should be those artists who who provide us with the images and 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 the well carved crucifixes and and stuff like that. And maybe the music, to help us, you know, maybe the music when when it has its when it's know, appropriate, keeps its proper place. <laughs> uh, it is of fundamental importance that the priest have a keen awareness of being through God's mercy a particular presence of the risen Lord. Okay, whoa have an awareness of being through God's mercy 
a particular presence of the risen Lord. I got... Well, we say that. The priest is a another Christ, an altar Christus yeah. at the Mass. Um, and here's what's weird. It, for this service to be well done, it's important, important that the priest have an awareness of that. Okay, so if the priest has an awareness of that, what would be his natural response? Wow, I've got to be the presence of Christ right now in this time and place offering himself to the Father I can't be Father Bob or Father Mike or, or uh, you know, Monsignor Schroeder or whatever. I have to be Christ right now. So I better completely shut myself down and put myself into the role of being Christ. That If he had that awareness, that would be his response. And he would cling to the right of the Mass and not add any art of yeah. himself at all. He, he would be there, rigid fact, about it. There would it. be no art involved. It would be strict. I mean, this is a this is a self-contradictory <clears throat> sentence. If, yeah. if the priest really had that keen awareness, he he would become rigid. But, you know, I, I mean, I would have to point out here that he says, for this service to be well done... Um, what it, service is he talking about? It can't be well done or poorly done if, in terms of the uh, sacramental... Uh, efficacy aspect. Oh, that's true. And, it, and it, it can either, only be done or not done. Sacramentality, yeah, is binary. It's it's either valid and there or it's not. And then, aside from the sacramentality, the external um, circumstances and and presentation of it is well done or not. Yeah. And the again, the more the priest is aware of his being Christ at that time and place the more he disappears himself into the ritual. Yeah. Here's the, but, but again, I don't think the Pope sees it that way. The problem is that when he says with art, he means performance. And mm-hmm. that's what's wrong. Um, the, and it's why it most like Catholics the priest to say, hey, hate the Mass. Oh, go ahead. <clears throat> it's why most Catholics hate, uh, come to despise the new mass. I mean, okay, yeah, there's mm-hmm. little old ladies who don't. And here and there, there's a guy who has uh, practically miraculous understanding of what's going on. But most men drift from it. And a lot of women drift from it, too, because there's yeah. nothing. Performance isn't what the mass ought to be. And I think yeah. people, if, they, if they're there for a performance, that's why people stop going. There's, yeah, I mean, if, if if we're supposed to be carried by the art of the priest, well, that you, know, you know that's going to go badly. Yeah, it, it's going to like, oh man, I'm I could be, I could be sleeping in this morning. Yeah, or watching football or something. I, if, you know, if I want There's art, let me go watch some. No football. reason some to be the, there. The way they they you know strategize those plays and stuff like that. There, there's art there. Um, you know, I've got a. Okay, so this fact gives sacrament... He he says, uh, the ordained minister is one of the types of presence of the Lord which render the Christian assembly unique, different from any other assembly. Not Christian, but the Catholic assembly. And it's not the Catholic assembly that's unique, it's the Catholic priest that's unique. Uh... This fact gives sacramental weight 
to all the gestures and the words of the priest. Uh, the assembly has the right to be able to feel in those gestures and words the desire that the Lord has to eat the Passover with us. That's just, that's dumb. And it, it is dumb. Um, but you know, the, okay, the ordainment are one of the types of the presence which renders the Christian assembly unique. Again, it's not just the Christian assembly. Yeah, it's the Catholic assembly because, I, I mean, if you if you identify Catholic with Christian, well, Catholics are the only okay. true Christians. Yeah. Maybe the Pope's going there. I doubt it. And it gives sacramental weight but to also, the gestures and words. Well, no, duh! I, I, but it's the end, it's the result of this sacramental weight, the confection of the real presence, the, the actual real, not just, uh, in a certain way, but complete and full presence of Jesus being offered to the Father that in a form that looks like bread and wine, that's what brings that uniqueness to the Catholic's right. know, mass, to the Catholic assembly. Right. Because the I I don't uh I don't know the proper way to articulate this, but the priest is acting in the person of Christ. Um yeah, that's so the he but he is still the priest. Priestess. He's still a priest. Mm, mm-hmm, right. The bread, on the other hand, actually becomes Christ. Fully physically Christ himself. Yeah. I, I mean, that obviously the priest is needed because he does that. But what he does is the important part. The, the, the end result, like you were saying, is the Eucharist. That's, mm-hmm. that's why we're there. <clears throat> now, I that's guess what it's about. It's a re presentation of the crucifixion and the last supper and all that but um the end result is actual physically god you can't get closer to god than that um and the whole deal with uh the words that the lord has the desire that the lord has to eat with us i don't know if that's 100 percent correct because he has the it's desire not- to I, He's not got the desire for us necessarily to eat it. He has the desire for us to receive the graces that come from his crucifixion. Well, or the, I, I mean, you know how I am about about the Mass. I would say he has the desire for us to eat him because he wants to be married to us. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not the supper. It's yeah. It's not him eating with us. It's us eating him. That's what he has that desire for. Yeah, um, and that's what he gave the apostles at the Last Supper. It wasn't yeah, just so it. we can all. He's had hundreds of suppers with them, and it wasn't just the symbolic sense of the supper. It was the fact that he was about to become come close to them in an intimate way that had not happened yet. It it we've been together. For these three years, and we're talking, and we're doing all these things, making miracles and everything. But right now, when you eat this, I'll be closer to you than any other time. That was the desire. Um, uh, And again, you know, Pope Pius XII talks about the fact that it's a meal, or that it's a sacrifice more than a meal. We can't get preoccupied with it being a meal. 
it's a sacrifice. Um, yeah, the the meal aspect is the mechanism by which the intimacy comes about, by which we come to identify with Christ as he goes to the cross. Yeah, and finally, the the assembly has no right to feel anything. <clears throat> no, we not at all. That that's a that's idiotic sentence. That's just wrong. Um, let's see. The priest himself should be overpowered by this desire for communion that the Lord has toward each person. I don't know about that. It is as if he were placed in the middle between Jesus' burning heart of love and the heart of each of the faithful. Uh, kind of, but he's actually acting as Jesus, not a yeah. go-between, uh, which is the object of the Lord's love. Uh, to preside at Eucharist, here again, he just changes it the way he, why can't he just say the Mass or whatever, uh, mm -hmm. is to be plunged into the furnace of God's love. When we are given to understand this reality, or even just uh, a hint of it, we would no longer need a directory that would impose the proper behavior. So, if, <laughs> what he's saying here is that uh, if a priest... If a priest understands the love between God and man and the fact that he has to be kind of go-between, um, then he doesn't even need the words of the Mass or the consecration. He doesn't need any of that. He'll or just he automatically the, know the, it. Yeah, he, he can... Once he understands that, he can... He can Why does he need a book? You know, he doesn't even need the book. He... he yeah, or a building, or or a proper table. I mean, go. Did you see that one video that? Uh, uh, well, I think Taylor Marshall somebody put out that the guy, uh, the priest. I don't even know if it was a real priest, uh, but supposedly doing a mass at on like at the beach. Oh yeah, the like beach out, mass. I the beach mass with and and the table, the the altar was like that raft or something like that. Yeah. I, I mean, that's what you can do if you understand God's desire for his people. I guess if you, yeah, if, if you understand it, then you don't need a, a directory to impose proper behavior. You, you can go off and do a beach do whatever mass. Do you want. Or, uh, yeah. So either, either all behavior is acceptable by that, or somehow you'll automatically know what, behavior is acceptable. You'll automatically know the words of the Mass if you understand the love God has for his people. That's It's just so stupid that I, I can't even begin. Um, the, the sacraments were handed down to us by 2,000 years of saints who served God far better than Pope Francis does. Um, and according to them... We need this, these rituals. Yeah, and, and he just wants to chuck all that because he understands God's need for us more than all these saints did or more, or the priest does somehow, suddenly. It's so dumb. I, I can't even wrap my head around someone actually thinking this. But it's, it's right here in black and white. This is what he said. Uh, if we have need of that, meaning the uh, directory... And the uh, something to impose the proper behavior. If we have need of that, the directory. Is he then talking it about is, the? I guess he's talking about the mass, the words of the mass. I, I assume. The words what else and could gestures. Be, what else could he be talking about? I guess so. 
Or I, 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 it almost sounds like he's saying that, hey, if a priest would just understand it right, he could just, you know... Make it up. Wing it. Uh, if if we have need of that, then it is because of the hardness of his, of our hearts. I, I'm at a loss of words. I mean, okay, look. Actually, if, I mean, let, okay, let's let's take <laughs> that as it stands. Yes, we're all sinners. We do need that. If if we did not have the hardness of heart to require this directory, then Jesus wouldn't have needed to come die on the cross for us anyway. Yeah, we wouldn't have been, we wouldn't need the mass, but we do have hardness exactly. of our hearts. And uh, aside from that, even if we didn't have hardness of our hearts, we're not magically able to kind of step in line with what Jesus wanted. Look, what if, like, okay, go to school for dancing or and learn how to dance with, say, your wife, and you take lessons and you learn the steps. It would be like saying, mm-hmm. well, if you really like this song, you wouldn't need the dance lessons. Yeah. That's if, if stupid. You really, if you really understood, you know, the... The, the, the music. Uh, the I don't know, the point movements of the song, of the song yeah. musically, you wouldn't need to learn the steps in order to dance with your wife. You would just do it. You, you would both just naturally do the right thing or something like that. I, you know, I guess that's... Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Go try that so, sometime. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a terrible dancer. I just, I don't even try anymore. So, but I did, I did square dance mm-hmm. for a while. Uh, and I'll tell you what, you better know the moves because you're going to mess the whole group up. You know, it's also a train wreck if you don't know the yeah. moves. I mean, it's like, and they're pretty complicated. Um, and if every single person isn't doing, that's why you have to go to square dance school in order to square dance. Mm-hmm. You can't just wing it. And if every single person doesn't do exactly what they're supposed to be doing, it disrupts the whole thing. It's it's just all clustered. So, yeah, exactly. It's a train wreck. Um, the highest norm, and therefore the most demanding, is the reality itself of the Eucharistic celebration. Okay, see, why, why did he say it that way? The yeah. highest norm... The highest norm... Is the, is the reality of the, the Eucharistic celebration. I, I mean, I would say it's the highest norm is the... I don't even know what a highest norm is, but... I, I don't know what he means here. This is a nonsense sentence. Yeah. I, if you're talking about the greatest thing that we have, I would say it's the Eucharist. It's the Eucharist itself. itself. It's God. God's the greatest thing. God's greater than... Uh, than God's actions. God's action is the celebration of the Mass. God himself is greater than what he does. Because what he does is a kind of a flow of what he is. Um, anyway, which selects words, gestures, blah, 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 that will make us understand whether or not our use of these are at the level of the reality they serve. That means nothing. That... It's a, it, even, it even has a circular reference. The, the Eucharistic celebration selects words, gestures, and feelings that make us understand whether or not our use of those words, gestures, and feelings are at the level of the reality they serve. This is it's just nonsense. I mean, yeah. Wait, didn't anyone check this? 
I did. I don't know. Yeah, does he says, have any kind of proofreader? It is obvious that this can't be improvised. It's an art. Does well, he know what art is? Yeah. I mean, he lives in the Vatican. He's got art all over. Of course, I've seen his favorite paintings and stuff. I guess he doesn't really know what art well, is. Well, yeah, but... you see how his his uh, selections for things like the, the artist to do the uh, Christmas manger scenes and stuff like that. So, again, but what he's... It seems like what he's saying is that the words and gestures... I, I don't know. I don't know what he's saying. Yeah, I think but, he's saying it, the <laughs> words and gestures are what make you know that they are words and gestures. It's something like that. That I mean, that that's the level on which this sentence parses. This is so ridiculous. Yeah. It requires application on the part of the priest. Well, the he didn't come by the application by understanding the love God has for us. He came by it by uh, reading in a book and, and being taught, this is how you do it. it mm-hmm. An assiduous tending to the fire of the love of the Lord that he came to ignite on earth. I, I, it's just more... He's still making the point that if he has this uh, this love, then he doesn't need the words of the man. The that's the what book. it seems like he's saying. Um, well, yeah, that's how I read it. And, you know, I would point out here that an assiduous love tending to the fire of the love of the Lord that he came to ignite on earth. I would just point out that uh, the Lord very specifically said that he came here to divide, not to unite. Yeah. All right. Let's see, 58. Let me see where I can start reading because yeah, he I talks about, for okay, this is dumb. This is him trying somehow to fit Mary into this discussion, which I don't think she necessarily belongs. I, I'm not saying she doesn't belong. It's just, well, he's not saying anything that so of any value. He said when the first community broke bread, it did so under the gaze of Mary who accompanied the first steps of the church. Well, I don't know if that's true or at all. I, I have no idea what he's talking about here. Because he mentions Acts one fourteen, um, mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily the first time they broke bread. Yeah, and then it, I mean, that might he might just be pointing out that she was kind of part of the community. Okay. Um, but that but, community only stayed a community until the Pentecost. The second... It became the second the Holy Spirit came down on him, everybody ran off in different directions. Yeah, it, but, but they did remain. I mean, I, I guess not a community in the sense of like being next to each other all the time, but they remained united. Well, in the Holy Spirit Himself, and doing what um, God told them to do. But yeah, all the all the apostles went and founded churches in different areas. And and there there was a at first there was a a community in Jerusalem that seemed to like like people would go out in different places, but they always referred back to the Christians in Jerusalem. I guess you know, like like that Paul would true. go out on his yeah. missions, and then he would come back to Jerusalem to report on things and get decisions made and stuff like that. Yeah, but uh, you know, but I think you're right. I mean, he's he's 
he's kind of bringing up Mary here, okay. Um, but then he acts like there's some the kind of virgin, uh, magical protection. Tell, yeah, do we really need a rule here to tell us how we ought to act? Well, we well, most certainly I, damn do. What a non sequitur. He's, he's like, he brings us up and then, like, throws this question out as though there's some kind of connection between them. Yeah. Um, I don't, I mean, I would, okay, let's say that Mary had a, has a hand in protecting our liturgy. I would say that that's why the Tridentine Mass still exists. Yeah. If it, it, yeah. it's by, Mary's by protection that it. kept it alive. Um, the, the Pope is, the Pope is working against the operations of Mary by trying to suppress the, the traditional Mass. Yeah. And, I mean, if we're going to go back to that community, the job of the community was to pass on these rules so that it could spread. But it did so by passing on these directions and these rites. That's how the faith spread. And you don't just magically learn it when you love Christ. They had to be taught from the very beginning, from Peter and Paul, they had to teach people how to celebrate Mass. Now, it wasn't as developed as it is today, but uh, they did teach them. They said, this is what you do. You break the bread mm-hmm. and you say, uh, you know, the words of consecration. Right. The, he said the words. Uh, he gave it to them. He do this uh, as a commemoration of me. And you know that, that there was more there than what's just listed in the gospel. Right. Yeah. Um, even, that, I mean, like the earliest fathers that we can find writings of talk about kind of a, a, a complicated rite that they used. And yeah. rules and, and uh, rubrics, rubrics were a part of it from the very start. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he said... This next paragraph having, is weird. Having become instruments for igniting the fire of the Lord's love on the earth, protected in the womb of Mary, for some reason, Mary protects all these priests from doing the wrong thing. Uh, I would be sadly disappointed in the Virgin Mary if that's the protection we're living under, considering (laughs) the absolute degradation we're seeing. I would say she... She she I certainly offers her protection, yeah. But it's not it's not a guarantee. It's it's something they have to seek. Yeah, uh, Virgin Mary made okay in the womb of the Virgin Mary made church as Saint Francis sang of her. I, I don't know. Priest should allow referred to Mary as the Virgin made church, like because like she's at a, some point he said she's that, a type of the church, or you know. Again, I would just say that St. Francis is not the one you quote when you're trying to come up with doctrine or reasons for doing things. It's pretty much yeah, all poetry. Very I, poetic. I Personally, I don't care for poetry. And uh, all I can say is there's nothing solid there. Um, priests should allow the Holy Spirit to work on them to bring them to completion the work he began in them at their ordination. Okay. The action of the Spirit offers to them the possibility of exercising their ministry of presiding in the Eucharistic Assembly with the fear of Peter, aware of being a sinner, 
you know, with the desire to be eaten by the people entrusted to them in the daily exercise of the ministry. I there's that's another one of those paragraphs that's kind of weird and hard to parse it's, out and yeah. hard to follow his thoughts. But but I mean, it sounds to me like he's saying if I were to try to apply that to an understanding of what the priest should do at mass. It sounds like the priest should give himself over into disappearing into the reality of being another Christ, which and is exactly what happens at the Tridentine mass. He should you, do it rigidly. To, yeah. You, you go to the traditional mass and you don't see the priest. You see Christ up there giving himself to the father. And then you get to participate that and, and receive Holy communion. That's it. It's that simple. We don't have, uh, it's not on a beach, and we don't have all the singing and dancing, but whatever. <laughs> no line dancing. It. <laughs> uh, it's, okay, here we go again. It's the celebration itself that educates the priest to this level and quality of presiding. So, he doesn't learn by reading a book. It's the celebration itself. It's the Mass itself that educates the priest. I just... I there's no this doesn't happen. I mean, he may get grace from the celebration and he may contemplate on it and learn more about it because maybe he's curious about something and he reads it by reading it and yeah. But he did he isn't magically educated by the celebration. Uh it's not a mental adhesion, it's not entirely one anyway. Even if our whole, well, actually, it's not one at all, really, for the priest, because he doesn't even need to understand it. Yeah. Uh, if he says the words faithfully, even without understanding them, the Mass occurs. Yeah. So, uh, but the way he says this is that it's by doing this that the priest learns. Well, then we could all be priests. We just preside over the words and the gestures of our Lord. Do it. Well, that, hey, I'm a priest now. Well, I. I said those words, and I let myself be educated by it. Oh, well. Uh, he's not talking about the priest. He's not set seated on a throne uh, because the Lord reigns with the humility of one who serves. Um, he does not rob attention from the centrality of the altar. Who? The priest or, the, or Jesus? A sign of Christ. I think he means the priest. I think he's saying when the priest is doing things right, he doesn't take attention away from the centrality of the altar, which okay. is a sign of Christ, <clears throat> and who is the center of our praise and thanksgiving. Or maybe, okay, I, I take this to, to, I mean, my first reading of this is that if the priest is doing this right, he's going to do it in a way that doesn't rob attention from the centrality of the altar and ultimately of the consecration and eucharistic sacrifice that takes place on the altar but it just occurred to me that he may mean something completely different it occurred to me that he might be saying here hey when the priest is out there doing his thing and uh getting you know performing for you mm -hmm. and letting the holy spirit guide him in his attempt to to capture your attention and entertain you and whatever else he's he by doing that is not robbing attention from the centrality of the altar because when the priest is doing all that he's doing it as christ anyway 
Maybe that's what the Pope means here, which is completely stupid. Okay, but, you know, regarding the centrality of the altar, which, I mean, Christ... It's really what like, takes place he's saying that the altar that is central. Yeah, he's saying it's a sign of Christ, but what's on is, the altar is Christ. Is Christ himself, yeah. That should but, be you central. Know, that's... that's why, like, when you go into a church, okay, everybody knows you go into a church, you genuflect to the tabernacle. But if the tabernacle is empty, like, say, after Holy Thursday Mass, you don't genuflect because Christ yeah. isn't there. But you still bow to the altar okay, because it's a symbol of Christ. So I so, guess he's admitting here that, somewhat wrongly, that the attention should be uh, centered on the altar, and he talks about the centrality of the altar. But I would just point out here that they moved the damn altars. I know or the tabernacle puts the altar at the center anymore. I mean, all right. Approaching the altar for the offering, the priest is educated in humility and contrition by the words, uh, "With humble spirit and contrite heart, we be." May we be accepted by you, O Lord, and may our sacrifice in your sight this day be pleasing to you, Lord God. That must be something from the new Mass. Yeah. Um, but, okay, I think what's going on here is that Pope Francis is confusing grace for knowledge and wisdom. He thinks that the grace you get is the knowledge and wisdom. I don't know if he even sees so that a by, difference. By saying the Mass and receiving the grace, you automatically acquire the knowledge and wisdom that seems so to that be... you don't have to follow the, the form anymore. Yeah. That, I, you know, that, that actually makes sense if, if that's what he's confusing. And he's, he's so wrong that, that even a sense. elementary student could, could understand how wrong he is. Um, and the, the grace, he's describing it's not a guaranteed gift to anyone there are priests who do everything they can to obtain grace and just never really taste it and there are those who never ask for it and suddenly find themselves drowning in it you know wake up calls and and suddenly they're yeah they've got more strength than they ever knew they had i mean grace is a gift and Part of the training shouldn't be to accept, uh, expect it to be there by saying Mass, I, the way he describes it here anyway. Right, right. Um, he cannot rely on himself for the ministry confided to him because the liturgy invites him to pray to be purified through the sign of water when he says, Wash me, O Lord, from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. But... He does have to rely on himself, kind of, because he's a he priest. And yeah, uh, maybe I, I mean you could that say orda he, ordination he changes him. He can't rely on himself as a man. He has to rely on his sacramental mark that he received in holy orders. But yeah, his holy orders marks his soul indelibly. It places, it places an indelible mark on his soul as a priest of God, and that's what what he relies on. I, you know what you could say is that he he relies on Christ, but Christ relies on him. Christ is using him to get to uh, to to uh, 
to say to the mass. The mass yeah, before, to confect yeah, the yeah, Eucharist. The, uh, the words which the liturgy places on the lips have different contents which require specific tonalities. Um, the the liturgy doesn't put words on his lips. He reads them. He, he just says the words. The liturgy doesn't do anything. I think that's just more... It's more of his, <laughs> yeah, I know, and I, I keep calling it out because it's stupid. Um, a, a true art of celebrating, I think that's what that means, is required of the priest by the importance of such words. Is that what ours descendi? Yeah, descendi? ours descendi, art of saying. Oh, okay. These give shape and form to his interior feelings. Um no, they don't. Um, they shouldn't. It, it, it's a grace that he ought to be grateful for. But but if he if saying the mass shaped his interior feelings, it, it's well, it's a grace, and it, it's one of those things. Oh, great! Thank you. I feel close to you, Christ. But that's not the point of him saying the mass. He doesn't need to feel anything when he says the mass. If, yeah. if if he spoke the words he and to felt a, to absolute properly. hatred for God, it would still be a proper mass. Right. At least for us it would. Um, uh, skipping down, he cannot say, take this all of you and eat it, for this is my body which will be good enough for you, and not live the same desire to offer his own body, his own life, for the people entrusted to him. Yes, he can. Well, he can, yeah. That's. I mean, <laughs> I think I think there's plenty Maybe of priests these days to, at least but, to do. Yeah, most of them do, especially the bishops. Uh, this is what happens in the exercise of his ministry. From all this and from many other things, the priest is continually formed by the action of the celebration. I Does he mean <sighs> formed by saying Mass? But why call it the action of the celebration? The this is another the thing that... Yeah. It's like I don't think Pope Francis understands what a mass is, and again, I don't think he believes in the true presence of the Eucharist. He sure seems like he believes the mass to be a a human uh, generated thing and not an act of God. Yeah, um, paragraph sixty one. He says in this letter, I have wanted simply to share some reflections which most certainly do not exhaust the immense treasure of the celebration of the Holy Mysteries. Yeah, I don't think you, he even understands yeah, them. I'm close. certainly not <laughs> yeah. uh, scratching the surface or anything else. He's, I ask uh, the bishops, priests, and uh, formators in seminary, I guess teachers, uh, and all catechists to help the holy people of God to draw from what is the first wellspring of Christian spirituality. Well, you know... Draw from what is the first wellspring of Christian spirituality. I guess in, in I order guess to get grace the from the Mass. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we do and we kind of understand the attack that he himself is making. And we're, we're kind of drawing on what we have. Because... A lot of still have the TLM. We're drawing on that uh, and just using that as a means of hope until 
his uh, until Pope Francis's reign is over. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we are called to continually rediscover the richness of the general principles exposed in the first numbers of Sancrosanctum Concilium. Why would we be continually drawn to re- called to rediscover that? How, how about we? are continually called to rediscover the richness of the general principles exposed in the first centuries of the development of the Mass in the Catholic Church. Yeah, well, they didn't understand it until Sacrosanctum Concilium. Oh, we had to wait for Sacrosanctum Concilium before we even understood what the heck we were doing. Yeah. Poor St. Paul. He didn't have Sacrosanctum Concilium to guide him. For this reason, we cannot go back to that ritual from which the Council Fathers felt the need to reform. Approving under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and following their conscience as pastors the principles from which was born the reform. So this is this is nonsense. And this what I mean is it's nonsensical. You can't make sense of of, of what he's saying. The the thoughts don't cohere. But it's also a non sequitur. <clears throat> so like he, t- he says the council fathers felt the need to reform. So now he's back to this is all about feelings. Yeah. Well, they felt it, so. <clears throat> yeah. Approving under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Well, one of the things is that the, to say that the acts of the council were under the guidance of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that the changes made as a result of the council are good for the church. The Holy Spirit's guidance might have been to just barely prevent the church from falling into a much worse disaster than than what we actually saw follow Vatican II. So, yeah. I mean, the the guidance of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean all of this stuff is good. It might mean that that this you know the Holy Spirit like like hell, it could be a chastisement, like a, a fence line on a cliff, and it it barely kept the church from going over the cliff. That might be what the guidance of the Holy Spirit amounts to this time. Or like you, when you said, I think last week, it was it could be a sense where it's like, all right, you guys are not taking the Mass serious enough. I'm going to take it away for a little while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that could, could be the guidance be of the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah. You know, it, one of the most frustrating of all his statements, I have weighed all the facts and information and have concluded that since all things point to a spherical planet, the Earth is flat. That's kind of <laughs> his, feel like the that? extent of his logic. <laughs> um, and what sucks is we're trapped here. We're, he's got his foot on our neck and we're laymen. We, we can't do anything about it. And... You know, because we understand that Catholicism is a monarchy and the pontiff is the king. If we disobey him, we lose our faith. If we obey him, we just, we're, we're barely holding on to our faith. I mean, we do lose our faith by obeying him completely. Mm-hmm. We have to disobey some of it in order to hold on to our faith. But, even if we obey him in all the ways that we absolutely have to, um, it's only by doing extra things that we're able to keep it. We have to keep teaching right. our children right. about this other world that is hidden for now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, 
It sucks. But, you know, here's here's the thing. We have hope that he doesn't have. And we have kind of a hope that the reason we're not afraid of him is because we know in the end God wins. That's why we hold on to this TLM. Because we know in the end uh, God's going to win. And yeah, Pope Francis is going to lose. Written. Yeah. So despite all this diabolical attack on the old mass, we still have reason to hope. Uh, let's see. Then he talks about the pontiffs and their liturgical books and blah, 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 blah. For this well, reason, I wrote Traditionis Custodes so that the church may lift up the variety of so many languages one in the same prayer capable of expressing her unity. Hmm. Well, but I want to go back to what he said before. He says um, the Holy Pontiffs, Paul the Sixth and John Paul the Second, approving the Reformed liturgical books, Ex Decreto Sacrosancti Ecumenici Council, uh, that means from the decrees of the Sacred Council Vatican II, have guaranteed the fidelity of the reform of the council. No, they haven't. The only well, thing would... that those that those popes' approvals guarantee is that the books are approved. That's a that's a stupid non sequitur again. And then he says, for this reason, I wrote Traditionis Custodis so the church may lift up in the variety of so many languages, one in the same prayer capable of expressing unity. Well, that's completely dumb because the new mass has been practically a dissolution of unity in the church. Is he is he trying to call on Pope John Paul II's um, authority, teaching authority as a pope? Is, is he talking about, since it's from the chair of St. Peter, that that it can't go wrong? Is, that what, is he talking about infallibility here? That's what I don't know. I don't even get it. He says, the, the holy pontiffs approving the reformed liturgical books from the decrees of the Council Vatican II have guaranteed the fidelity of the reform to the council. Well, we also know that they haven't done that because yeah, it's abundantly clear yeah. that the reforms were not in uh, fidelity to the council. All you got to do is read it. And then you say, yeah. oh, they didn't do this. They didn't do any the, of it. So I mean it's 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 just such drivel and nonsense that he's got. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, you know. Well, yeah. as he already has written, he intends that this unity be reestablished in the whole Church of the Roman Rite. Why does it have to be reestablished? Wasn't it established <laughs> when it was they gave us the reform? Vatican II. <laughs> yeah, pre-Vatican II, it was established. You, but you broke the unity by by bringing on the new mass. If the new mass was supposed to be unifying, why didn't it unify? Why do you have to send us this letter? Why do you have exactly. to enforce the these uh, changes that? And why are? Never mind. Um, <laughs> I would like this letter to help us to rekindle our wonder of the beauty of the truth of the Christian celebration, to remind us of the necessity of an authentic liturgical formation, 
and to recognize the importance of an art celebrating that is at the service of the truth and of the paschal mystery of the participation of all baptized in it, each one according to his or her own vocation. What this letter has done is reaffirm that God is on our side. He tolerates <laughs> evil. He tolerates stupidity. Uh, but God will save our church, and that's why we still have the TLM. And even if Pope Francis takes it away, I think we'll still have it, because God is on our side. Um, Christian life is a communal journey of growth. We are called to let ourselves be formed in joy and in communion. It's also the writings of the saints, which is where we draw knowledge. And it's which is what Pope Francis has ignored completely. Mm -hmm. I think I, let's see, we're down, we're going to skip down to, because we're going to skip down to 64. Um, it is well, rather a person. Actually, ahead. there's one thing I want to uh, I just thought of this on like glancing at 63. He says, I desire to leave with you yet a further indication to follow along our way, whatever that means. I invite you to rediscover the meaning of, li of the liturgical year. The liturgical year post Vatican II or post, you know, with the Novus Ordo Mass is completely stupid. I, I think we all who we all need to pray for the soul of whoever came up with the concept of ordinary time because that, it's so dumb and so bad and so damaging. Was I, that I, I, not I need, part of the original? Oh no, I, never! I didn't even know that. You know, was, I've never even studied. You've the, never paid the, attention to the yeah the the liturgical year itself. So so the traditional liturgical year. Uh, you start with Advent, Advent flows into Christmas, you have a season of Christmas, you have the Epiphany, and then you have the weeks after Epiphany that take you to uh, Septuagesima um, Sunday, which is like a couple weeks before Lent starts, and then Sexagesima, and then you get into Lent. After Lent, you have Easter, Easter's a nice long season, then you have Pentecost, and then you have the weeks, the Sundays after Pentecost. And then those continue all the way until you start the liturgical year again with Easter. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. Now we have this, okay, we, we, it's like, let's get rid of these references for our year. Let's not reference the Epiphany. Let's not reference the Pentecost. Instead, we'll have this sort of blank slate we lay out, call it ordinary time, and then we'll pock these seasons these special seasons into it. We'll have the Advent season and a Christmas season, and then a Lent season and an Easter season, and then everything else is ordinary time. It is stupid the way they do it in the new Mass. I didn't even know that. I mean, because, I mean, I, I never, I haven't actually sat down and looked at the liturgical year. I just know that in the um, TLM calendar that they hand out, mm -hmm. um, they have these really neat calendars showing you, you, you've got the cycle and it's got all these different, uh, you've seen them. Yeah. They look mm -hmm. pretty intricate. Yeah. But if you look of, at of wisdom and thought that went into the development of the liturgical year, uh, by the church and, and it's refinement over the centuries. And if you look at the one from, uh, the new mass, it looks like a 
just a grade school pie chart with four or five <laughs> little yeah notations. So nothing to really engage the life of faith. If you wanted to, you know, cycle that life to the year, right? There's nothing to engage it in the in the new calendar. Anyway, yeah. Sorry, that was that was like a side thought okay. I suddenly had while I was reading that. Um, our life is not a random chaos. Uh, our life is not a random chaotic series of events, one following the other. Well, mine is. I don't know what. Um, it is rather a precise itinerary, which, from one annual celebration of the his death and resurrection to the next, conforms us to him, as we await the blessed hope and coming of our Savior Jesus Christ. I don't. Yeah. Oh, I, actually, that's. I forgot. I, that is actually my comment. Yeah. To that you know the the post conciliar reforms obliterated the rhythm of the liturgical year, and now with this ordinary time concept, it's just a series of events that don't form a holistic continuum. Yeah. Um. But you know the thing is, I don't know. Our life is not. A random chaotic series of events. I, I think it is. I mean, yeah, you well, have this other stuff, but that doesn't take away from. It's not like life is um, destiny, you know. Okay, no, I, I okay, I, I think what he's saying is that when we give ourselves over to the liturgical calendar, we uh, we enter into a mode where. Our life has cyclic meaning that is that transcends the random events that occur within our life. Yeah, because we're we're always living the 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 you know the season of Advent or the season of Christmas or the Sundays of Epiphany and and following Epiphany or mm-hmm. the season of Lent or the anticipation of Lent, starting with you know Septuagesima Sunday and so on and so forth. There's, there's, we're always connected to something that is going somewhere, it, you know, and it starts with Advent and it ends with, you know, the end of the year. Um, so liturgically speaking, our life is not a random, yeah. a, a series of random events. Okay. And, and well, that's why I'd say, well, that's true in the old calendar. That's not true anymore in the new calendar. The new calendar, it's still just a collection of random events. As the time made new by the mystery of his death and resurrection flows on, every eighth day the church celebrates in the Lord's Day the event of our salvation. You know, I wonder if he knows we do that every day. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I'm sure that he's talking about by, by um, obligation, but yeah. Yeah, like, okay. Well, um, let's see, Sunday to Sunday... The risen Lord illuminates our existence, wanting to achieve in us the end for which it was sent. From Sunday to Sunday, communion. Okay, here's another part. Communion in the body and blood of Christ wants to make also for our lives a sacrifice pleasing to the Father in the fraternal communion of sharing hospitality of service. Um, Okay, first of all... I don't think he... Means that why why communion in the body and blood of Christ? Why why does he say it this way? Uh, 
from Sunday to Sunday, communion in the body and blood of Christ wants to make also of our lives a sacrifice. But you see why I think that he doesn't believe in the real presence? Yeah. To him, our going to communion, our the communal part of it seems to be what he's focused on here. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe. Communion like in the body and blood of Christ. We come together in communion in the body and blood of Christ because we, the church, are the body and blood of Christ. I think we that's what he means. That's the communion that he means, I think. I don't think he's he, talking about the Holy Eucharist. Yeah, he didn't I mean, the, capitalize the communion. Is only there as the as the the means of getting us together for our yeah. communion of celebration or something like that. Commun- I, the it, fraternal it really communion. Like that's what he's talking about. Of sharing, of hospitality, and of service. Um, you know, also he you know, kind of the, the operative word in all of this is sacrifice, which is the part that he seems to ignore. Um, and it's that kind of a lofty attitude about this that started in the 60s in the church, and it's been a, a failure. With the Going sacrifice... To referring to the Mass as a sacrifice? Yeah, and it, it just... Communion of sharing and hospita- hospitality and service. What about communion of sacrifice? That is what we're there for. The sacrifice. I don't know. Uh, yeah. From Sunday to Sunday, Sunday, the energy of the bread broken sustains us in announcing the gospel in which the authenticity of our celebration shows itself. Wow. The energy of the bread broken... I don't, you think it was just like on LSD when he wrote this or something? Yeah. Doesn't I mean, this sound really like, like some of those energy? those classic rock 70s songs lyrics? You know, like, like Bohemian Rhapsody or something? Yeah. You know what we should do is we should get together as Catholics and we'll combine the energy of the bread broken with the energy of crystals and with yoga and then we'll have something really cooking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cooking. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll have a big old dinner. Some some kind of lab where we have some stuff cooking, maybe. <laughs> yeah, let us abandon our polemics to listen together to what the spirit is saying to the church. Yeah, why doesn't he take his own advice? I mean, if he yeah. looks at at what is going on in the church, what is the spirit saying? The Holy Spirit is um, inspiring all of this this new commitment to the traditional mass. And yeah. here he is with all these polemics against it. Yeah. Uh, let us safeguard our communion. Yeah, we will continue to safeguard yeah, it as best we can. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let we'll us continue. Our communion with a capital C. Yeah. Um, but basically we're... We're safeguarding it from Pope Francis, and yeah, that's that's pretty much the end of the, that's the end of the letter. letter. Thank goodness! Wow, I mean, there's a so terrible, and, what, and there's a lot that we didn't even talk about. And the more you get into it, the more the you realize. First time I read through it, first time I yeah. read through it, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, all right, I can see, I can, yeah. And it's like the more I read this, it's like, wow, he's just like making all this weird stuff up. Yeah, it's uh, 
It's the most bizarre document I've ever read. It's you wonder, like a, I mean, you know that they've got drugs story. going on in the Vatican. Yeah. So do you think maybe, like, you know, he he's kind of like revealing maybe to some of his, his cardinals, hey, I'm going to write this letter. And just to kind of like, like pull a prank on him, one of them slipped him some some kind of drugs before he sat down to write it. <laughs> I don't know. I you know. think he'd read it again later and say, oh, wait a minute, I well, didn't mean to true. say that. <laughs> what, what did I write? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a crazy document, and the more you look at it, the worse it gets. And it doesn't have any authority to it, but it gives you a good understanding of what we're dealing with here. What, this man is evil. Mind. This is yeah. a very bad man. And he doesn't believe most of what we believe, at least from what I can tell yeah, that, from that this He does not letter. appear to believe what the Catholic Church has always taught about the Mass. And he, he goes through these he long seems, things about the true presence of Christ, but he doesn't talk about the presence of Christ in the Eucharist, more about the presence yeah. of Christ in the action. In the, the assembly, the actions, the, the, the celebration itself, whatever. Even... Even the actions of the priests and the way that Jesus is in those actions is not as magnificent as the presence in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's what he just completely fails to understand, and it's sad because he's our Pope. Yeah, I don't. I mean, we've had bad, we've had badly behaved popes before, but. I don't think we've ever had a pope that that has led the church to this level of confusion it's, with regards uh, to basic elements of the faith. And you know another I mean we we talked about him a lot and we talked about the position that the church is in a lot and that hey these are these are just times that we have to go through and we're going to get through it and then we're going to have a good church against eventually but the more you read his work the more you are sympathetic to the apocalyptic talk you know <laughs> yeah i don't it's so we're so out of the realm of what we're used to there's no precedence for any of this it's it is frightening well well, you heard about the, um, you know, when he came over to Canada and he participated in that that pagan ritual invoking yeah. the, the Western granny. Yeah, we talked about it last week, but I didn't know that there was a I didn't smudging. know about the pagan ritual thing that he did. Yeah, I didn't know about that. That's that's Some kind demonic. of invocation of the Western granny to put us in touch with the circle of spirits or something circle like that. Circle of spirits, I mean, real, that's right. The circle of spirits in the Western Real bad stuff. And and he was going to, he and, and his cardinals with him were, were participating in it and going along with it. Yeah, I, and and I don't want to hear the, well, he didn't actually do anything. He didn't say anything. Look, hey, he was there. When invited he was to do part. the gesture, he did the gesture. That's right. You know, he he was invited to do it. He participated fully to the extent that he was invited to participate by the guy who was leading it and telling everybody what to do. Yeah, he did do the gesture, which is half this document 
uh, has a bunch Talks of about stuff the gestures about the gestures. Of the celebration. Yeah. Yeah. What 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 art was he celebrating then? Oh well, I guess uh, I, there's not much. There's a bunch more we could say about it, but um, <laughs> we need to move on. <laughs> this is yeah. We got other shows to do and stuff, but I guess for now, keep keep your eye out for those books. You should see the artwork that I'm getting ready to post for these podcasts. <laughs> uh, the the AI machine is giving me Using all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's I there's one like the since this is all about the Last Supper, I did various versions of the Last Supper. Oh, okay. And this is AI created with different types of people at the Last Supper. Um, yes, yeah, some of those images you came up with <laughs> were pretty. And, uh, Started, and I'm not I'd even say. I'm not even good at it. Uh, I mean, I I put very basic descriptions in, and I get very basic drawings. Um, there are some people who kind of have learned how to direct the computer, and well, you'll see, I stole some other people's images of like oh, okay. uh, astronauts at the Last Supper, aliens at the Last Supper. Uh, you'll see what I mean if you look at the website. Mm-hmm. They're kind of they're bizarre, but uh, it's just weird that a computer could do this. Yeah. If I were an artist, I would be worried. Well, you All know, right, I've wow. been thinking the, that the because um, we did that that show where we talked about the Book of Revelation and and the beasts and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And one of the things is that the, there's the the first beast. And then there's a second beast that comes up out of the sea. And then what the, the second beast causes the people to create an image of the first beast and then gives the, and that's, you know, that image yeah. is the third beast. And then he gives the third beast the power to act and causes the people to worship it. Uh, I think it's, that's, that's uh-huh. how it goes. But okay. it makes me yeah. wonder if, because the but but the point that I get out of this is that the third beast, the beast that everybody's going to end up worshiping, is something Some that created. We ourselves create. You know, I I've got a friend who is who hates AI um, and thinks of it along those terms. He's never brought mm-hmm. in this idea of uh, um, revelation, but Re- yeah, connecting it that way. Um, he has talked about it. He thinks it is de- demonic. Mm-hmm. I personally don't go that far. I think yeah, it's kind of neat, but I think it could be turned into something demonic. Yeah, or maybe I mean, it would as, I mean, turn itself into it, something demonic. You know, in the Old Testament, God, through the Old Testament writers, makes fun of all the people who are who worship. You know their wooden idols and their stone idols, things that they themselves yeah. carve. And then they go and worship the thing they just carved. Yeah. Um, well, so I could see where, okay, now it's like we created it, but we've become so good at making stuff that now we deceive ourselves into thinking that this thing now has real power. And so we worship it. Yeah. So or let it decide what we're going to do and you know yeah you create an ai machine that tells me should i take this job or that job and for example uh, right 
to like control your whole, whole life. Should I have a kid now, or should we wait? Or decide, should I have an abortion? Or yeah. what people should we get rid of that are least likely to cause problems? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it it could go that direction. As a matter of fact, there's a couple. I, I imagine he's not the only one, but there's a couple Philip K. Dick books along those lines where they've uh, ordered society to be commanded by computers. You know, oh, mm-hmm. the government right. is a computer. Uh, there's several versions of that out there. So, all right, why don't we get to news? Um, let's see. I guess there was something that happened in the Congo. Um, 15 people are killed and 50 others are injured when UN peacekeepers open up anti-UN protesters in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And then it's okay. like... UN peacekeepers opened up, like open, fi- open fire? Yeah, yeah. UN see, peacekeepers fired on anti-UN demonstrators? Yeah. Now, I don't oh, know man, which came first, scary. but three UN peacekeepers were killed. I, I'm i not okay, sure if so it's we don't before know, or after. There was, there was an exchange, and we don't know who started the exchange. I don't, know, I don't know if it was an exchange or one was in retaliation or what. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that I would count that as an exchange. I mean, as in... As in the UN maybe fires died. on people, and three days later, a couple people fire on UN peacekeepers. Oh, okay. I don't know if it's like but that or if it's all one incident. So people in the Congo are against the UN and they're protesting. Why are UN peacekeepers even there? Yeah, why don't they leave? They have no business being there. Let the Congo leadership take care of it. In fact, maybe the Congo leadership should listen to the people. Yeah, well, I I don't know. I It's, it's a bad area. Um, I mean, if we had anti-UN demonstrations to... here in the United States, think about that. It would be one thing, okay, we've got these demonstrations and local police are there or maybe even some some state uh, National Guards people are there to make sure the demonstrations don't get out of hand. But if, if we're demonstrating anti-UN and what we see is, oh, look, they've got some UN peacekeepers there to make sure we don't get out of hand, that to me is is just absolutely irresponsible and and over the top um, contributing to a volatile situation well uh, Bangladesh announces that it will request 4.5 billion dollar loan from the International Monetary Fund uh, for uh, climate change activities I don't know what a climate change wow. activity is, but what are they? Are they talking about like in order to, to go along with like some kind of treaty or something? I think, but they you know this money? this whole climate change uh, you know forms that they have and stuff. It's it really is about money, and one of the big issues is we need to give money to the poorer nations so that they can take part in these things that we're doing. Which is I don't really think just it's like, that. I, I mean, it, it I, is about money, but I don't think it's about giving money to the poor nations. No, it's I not. I think it's about forcing them to accept loans so that we have our foot on their neck, so to speak. Now, yeah, I think it's about enslaving the poor countries. Yeah, uh, yeah, and forcing them into into situations that they 
suddenly find themselves without power. Um, the European Union energy ministers approve legislation to lower the demand for gas by some of the member countries by 15%. Legislation to lower the demand? What is what that, that makes mean? no sense at all. And let's say, say, okay, you can't drive. I mean, and therefore you don't have a demand for gas. <laughs> yeah, I, that's all I can think of. It. <laughs> and now we've got, and then over in, in Germany, they're turning off heat and switching to cold showers in buildings and shutting wow. off public water fountains and all kinds of stuff because of their lack of gas. Because of that Nord Stream oh, uh, pipeline okay. from Russia, pipeline. and Russia said we're cutting yeah. you off. So, yeah. Speaking of Russia, McDonald's like profits becoming a third world country. Yeah, it is. It's it's doing it to itself, and I, you know, America's not far behind. Yeah. Uh, McDonald's profits fell by forty six percent, and its revenue falls by three percent. Um, in the second quarter following their exit from Russia. Wait a minute. Hold on. I don't think... Let's it's back. following their exit from Russia, but... Their well, profits I fall I mean, by... McDonald's is in Russia. Okay, yeah, I know, profits... but I would... Okay, so their revenues are about... Their, their profits are about 6% of their revenues. So when the revenues fell 3%, profits fell 40-something percent. Okay, I get it. Okay, but that's in the second quarter of 22. Um, the whole damn country's taking a hit, though. And I don't... Yeah, that's not true. really got much and, to do uh, with Russia. The whole world. I mean... I mean yeah. Yeah. I, this, this, this may very well be a latent, um, at least partially latent effect of, the, of the, the COVID hits that all businesses are feeling. Yeah. Um, what happened to my, hold on here. Okay, here it is. Uh, European General Court upholds a broadcast ban imposed on Russian TV and networks uh, in the European Union because of accusations of spreading misinformation, uh, I guess, by the Russian so they're accusing Russia from of spreading misinformation and banning broadcasts. Okay, but where are the broadcasts being banned? I, I, I guess maybe there's some stations that have have published. Did, there's an RT RT information from in, Russia in European in the European Union. Okay, that that broadcasts Russian information. They've been. They're being banned now from broadcasting because yeah. the EU says, hey, you're spreading misinformation. See, this is the kind of stuff that, you know, you, you see it here and there throughout the world. And, and growing up, of course, our reactions to that have always been, well, gee, thank goodness that kind of stuff doesn't happen in the United States. But now you see now it is. our government wants it to happen here, too. And they're trying to find ways to make it happen even though they can't legally make it happen, they're trying to find ways to circumvent the law to make it happen. Yeah, and even when they're not, they're getting cooperation from the larger cor corporations, and it's mm -hmm. happening anyway. Well, that's the kind of thing I mean, that yeah. you know, it basically is a circumvention of the law then. Yeah. Uh, United States 
enters into recession. So we've uh, had a shrinking economy for the second consecutive quarter. That makes this a recession. That's officially. the definition of a recession. Although uh, now the news does, doesn't want a recession to happen on Biden's watch. So everybody's right. scrambling to say, well, there's multiple definitions of recession. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, there's not. We, a recession <laughs> is a very certain definite thing. And, uh, and it's not like anyone... Do they... The average Joe out there is getting his butt kicked. Already knows. Yeah. yeah nobody... And, I mean... But what's what's especially bad is that it's an inflationary recession. It's a... You know, it's not just a recession. Yeah. It's a recession with a corresponding increase in prices of goods that make it doubly bad. Yeah. Um... You know, this, okay, so the U.S. Congress passes the Chips and Science Act of 2022. And this is supposed to uh, boost the semiconductor production in the U.S., as opposed to all the stuff happening in China and Taiwan and everywhere else. I don't understand. So is it just like making grant money available to. to That's, I think that's what it is. Like, they're going to run factories in the U.S.? I mean, I, I. $52 $52 billion for U.S. companies producing computer chips, okay. as well as uh, billions more in tax credits. I don't, I think this is, uh, if they want to get people producing in the U.S., Trump had the perfect way to do it, and he did do it. He caused more things to be manufactured in the U.S. simply by putting tariffs on incoming products. Yeah. Which is how it used to be until Nixon. You couldn't you couldn't get this stuff from China because and even if you did, you had tariffs to pay. Well, once right. that's gone, why would anyone produce in the U.S. where you have to pay anything more than slave labor? Right, right. Yeah, so, I, I I agree. Um, at the same time, you know the thing is, I mean things like like. Um, special tax deals for certain say targeted industries or whatever I um, I mean I I'm kind of on the fence about that but the one thing is if we're gonna do that kind of stuff we should do it after we simply completely get rid of the individual income tax if, if we got rid of the individual income tax and all taxes were only paid by uh, corporations and and business enterprises and stuff like that then I, I would say, Okay, now let you know we can use that to if we think the ind- industries need to go in a certain direction. Okay, let's encourage this kind of industry in the United States with certain kinds of tax uh, yeah. incentives or whatever. Yeah, but when they do it while we're all paying an unfair individual income tax, then it just feels like we're subsidizing that ourselves with our personal yeah. paychecks. Yeah. I mean, so I don't know. It's but it's a shame. I I, I completely support the this goal position. behind this. I think yeah. I think we should be doing more silicon manufacturing in the United States, semiconductor I, manufacturing. I, I think we're going to have to soon. I mean, you know, we've got this thing going on with China and Taiwan, and that's going to mean something for us. Yeah. Um. Let's see. The governor of Kentucky declares a state of emergency. Uh, so there's 
historic floods in Kentucky. I guess it's still going on right now. Maybe they've just started to drain. Uh, so far, there are uh, 35 deaths and 37 people remain unaccounted for. Oh, wow. So I didn't know it was that bad, but I don't understand yeah. where. I went down to Lexington today. I didn't... Didn't see any particular... Yeah, it must be just in... I don't even know where, but uh, it's it not... It might be in rural areas, you know, along riverbeds and stuff like that. Or ri- river Yeah, well, and stuff. maybe you know, like Louisville little, was hit. Because, like, you, you drive through, like... Um, like, like, take the gorge. Okay, you know, there is the Red River that runs through the gorge, and then there's these these like areas off the banks of the river where there might be say 50 houses or something like that right and it could be those kinds of places where this is happening yeah uh u.s reports uh total number of monkeypox cases in the country is 4,639 uh new york is new york is saying they've got a state of emergency they've got a total of uh 1,251 California is in a state of emergency because they have... Now, wait a minute. Total number of cases in the country is 4,639. Okay. Number of infections in California is 5,811. How can they have more infections than there are cases? The only thing I can think of here is that when I was going through the news chronologically... I read the total number for U.S. before I read the total number for California. Oh, okay. That I just I otherwise it doesn't make any sense. Um, anyway, I, you know we so know. So what it's is coming. this the monkeypox? What does this disease actually do to you? Is it like, is it like chickenpox or is it like cowpox or what? It, it's like I, I don't it know. It's measles? a pox, you know. That it, it sores, mm-hmm. you know. So I I don't know. But it seems to be mostly a gay disease. Oh, okay. Which is why you got such a high number in California and New York. Yeah, and in New York. So, well, you know, don't just be gay. Stay away from that, and hopefully, it'll stay centered in the coasts. Yeah. Um, now this is weird. So we've found we've reported the first case of polio in the U.S. since 2013. And it was reported in New York, um, and it's connected to traces of vaccine-derived viruses found in the UK and Israel. I gotta wonder if this is all something that that Bill Gates was up to. Remember, Bill Gates had all these these polio vaccines that he was that were kind of experimental. Uh, He finally got in trouble, like in India. Um, Yeah. And it's like, oh, thanks. It's like, it, I mean, it. I think some children died or were uh, permanently damaged by his vaccines that were experimental. So I, I wonder if that's got something to do with him. Hmm. Uh, let's see. We already talked about uh, Pope Francis going to Canada and taking part in a pagan ceremony. Uh, Pelosi goes to Taiwan after the Chinese are like threatening her with military action, yeah, if she no, goes to Taiwan and she went, I don't know why. It's just that's well, kind because, of a weird. Well, because Taiwan is supposed to be independent and China is th- 
threatening to basically invade and take them over and make them part of China, kind of like they did with Hong Kong. Um, and but why the, the Taiwanese were there? What's that? Other than why well, we have we have been in a state of of like alliance and treaty with Taiwan, I think. Yeah, that would put us in in the position of of needing to supply them military help repelling an invasion from China if they were invaded. Well, that was you know was a plausible thing for us to say that we would do ten years ago, maybe. And I think now China's realized that we're just a paper tiger now. We've lost our resolve to actually accomplish anything and and put our money where our mouth is anywhere in the world, especially with the, the debacle yeah. over in Afghanistan. And so now for us to give even diplomatic recognition to, you know, to, to Taiwan by, by visiting specifically um, in that manner... And so the Chinese want to see, well, do we really have the resolve to follow through or can, or can they count on us to, to back off? Yeah. Um, thing is, even if they, even if we said, yeah, we're going to follow through, we're not going to back off. Um, so they call our bluff, let's say, and invade Taiwan, then what? You know, yeah. And, and what difference have... did it make if Pelosi was there or not? Uh, I think most of us would be fine with her staying there and being captured by the yeah, Chinese. Stay in, stay in Taiwan. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, this is sad. So, this is the first referendum since Roe v. Wade was overturned. Kansas voters reject an amendment in the state constitution that would grant state lawmakers the ability to apply anti-abortion restrictions. Oh, that is sad. Um... I, I, I wonder why look, they. I mean, okay. I call it into question, though. I. I why would the legislators it. need permission from the Constitution? It's not like. Yeah, why? I, I don't they, imagine do that it? the Kansas State Constitution enshrines abortion in any manner whatsoever. Anyway, so why not just make the laws? Yeah, why would it would be like? All right, you guys elected me to make laws for you. Let's have a vote on whether or not I should make laws for you. Yeah, the kinds kind of, of laws that, that, I mean, you know, like like the federal Congress, they can only make laws that the Constitution grants them permission to make. That's that's how the federal government works. And and they, they did it at a time when most people are not voting. Hell, yeah. they did it at a time probably most people didn't know they were voting. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see what happened to that same referendum if they brought it up during a presidential election. I'll bet they'd lose in a landslide. I hope, anyway. Well, you know, the other thing is that with referendum like this, I mean, we've, we've seen the same kind of thing with local issues. Um, if it's not very well publicized, you get into the ballot box and, and you, okay, there's this list of issues, and the wording on it is so convoluted that unless yeah. you're some kind of, of linguistic master... You can't tell whether a no vote is a vote for the way you want or the way you don't want. Right. And so there could have been that level of confusion, too. It could be that a majority of the people actually would have supported the amendment if they properly understood the way it was worded on the referendum on the ballot. Yeah. You know, here's the thing. When it comes to pro-abortion and anti-abortion activists... 
anti-abortion activists are much more uh, enthusiastic about conquering it than pro-abortions are of defending it. They 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 seem louder because they get on the news and they disrupt mass and things like that. I'm I you can't make me believe that we don't have bigger numbers in Kansas. Yeah, I think right. I think it's a sham. And what's on top of all that? Who the hell trusts elections anymore, anyway? I know. We know that uh, they're fixable. So, uh, and along those lines, uh, the DOJ files a lawsuit in Idaho to block a law that would uh, almost completely ban abortion. Now, again, what business does the Department of Justice have getting involved in, in state politics like that? Absolutely none. None at all. Yeah. This so, this is this is more stick. you know political shenanigans. This is this is the kind of thing that will continue to turn into even more political persecution, political imprisonment, and that kind of stuff. Even more so yeah. than we're seeing from the January sixth uh, stuff that's going on. Yeah, this is dangerous. This is yeah, this is political criminalization for the DOJ to. Get involved very at dangerous. All in something like this is is just a really bad precedent and a really yeah. bad course of action. Well, hopefully this is fought off both by uh, the uh, by Idaho's Supreme Court and by the American Supreme Court. Yeah. Um, Lulo Rose is the name of a diamond. It is the largest pink diamond found in the last 300 years. Wow. It was uh, discovered in Angola. Only one in 10,000 diamonds are pink. And this one okay. was 170 carats. What is that in terms of grams? Or ounces or whatever? It's not much, but okay, let me, okay. So it's 0.07 pounds. Uh, ounces. So a bit it's less one, than a tenth of a pound. 1.20 ounces. Okay. Uh, I wonder if we could get. And is this its weight? Its raw weight, or has it been cut? And it's it's this is the the cut weight. So, I guess this is raw. This is still raw. Okay. A three-carat diamond is generally um, almost 10 millimeters big. This must be a giant diamond. <clears throat> 170. Almost, almost a centimeter is three carats. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and I would and think this is 170 be... carat. Okay. Okay, so one ounce is 141 carats. I wish they would put it next to something that that you can... I All the pictures I'm looking at this, nobody puts it in perspective. Like, put it next oh, to a Oh, like next to a, a quarter, dollar bill or something like that. Or even a finger or something. Yeah. So hold it in no somebody's hand or whatever. putting it in perspective. It is a giant diamond, though. I wonder how they're going to cut it. That must be. Wow. Man. It'd be cool to own that. 
Okay, that's the last of my news. All right. Well, I have some news. Uh, let's see here. Okay, so I, I've run across the occasional person who I don't get it. I don't know why, but they enjoy eating dog biscuits. You know, like the kind you know you throw your dog the yeah treat or whatever. But I, I've never even tried it myself. I, I knew a but, guy. You knew a guy who did that, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, thing is, could you imagine anybody deciding, I'd like to try some cat food? Ooh. Well, Fancy Feast, the cat food producer, I guess is going to be serving uh, stuff that looks like cat food or something like that at this restaurant in New York. But it... S- serving to serving humans. serving it to cats? No, this is to humans. Why... Opening an ultra limited edition restaurant that is answers that all they question, serve. Well, it's uh, for two days in August. The Gato Bianco, which means white cat restaurant in New York City, will explore the ideas of what if our cat food was more like Italian cuisine, and then what if we tried to feed it to people? So they're going to make they're going to take their cat food, make it more like Italian cuisine, and then take this Italiany cat food and serve it to people at this restaurant called the White Cat in New York. The sad part is there are people who will go for that. Well, you know that this is there's a reason they picked New York for this. Yeah. Because they're all gay and they're all on drugs. <laughs> yeah. So if you're gay and on drugs, one more. <laughs> you might eat cat food. Thing to go along know. with that. <laughs> there, there always is that guy. I don't know. There was a guy growing up I knew that, like, I, I mean, okay, I took him into the barn to see the goats. Uh huh. And so we all pet the goats, pet the dog. We're walking yeah. out, and he pulled something out of his pocket and popped it in his mouth. I was like, "What do you got?" I thought he had candy or something. He's like, "Oh, mm-hmm. don't tell anyone. It's dog food." <laughs> He had taken a handful of my dog food and put it in his pocket and was chewing on it the rest of the day. He wasn't embarrassed about eating the dog food. He just didn't want to get caught stealing it. No, he didn't. He was embarrassed about taking it. Um, it, He didn't want me to tell my brothers and sisters, and he he had a sister, that he didn't want anyone else to know about it. It was our little secret. I was like, and I have... Kept that I didn't tell anybody today. that I hang out with yeah. somebody who eats dog food. <laughs> I never hung out with him after that. He just he oh, wanted okay. to see the goats, you know, because <laughs> we had yeah. goats in the city. People would be like, "Hey, can I see the goats?" Hey, so goats, can I see? Them? Yeah, one All weird right. dude. Really, that is weird. Well, okay, now people in New York are going to get to eat uh, cat, cat food. food. <laughs> All right, so so you talked about uh, you know them legislating a reduction in demand for gas. Um, th- this is not necessarily gas, but it's still energy. The um, maybe they don't need to to do that if everybody could just follow the uh, Spanish Prime Minister's idea. Um, he suggests that uh, his name is Pedro Sanchez. We just stop wearing ties to reduce our energy needs. I'm not sure I see the connection here. Well, I had to dig a little bit to find this, but apparently um, the idea is that 
the reason we use so much energy is because we have to keep our buildings cool and we insist on keeping our buildings cool because we wear a tie which causes us to retain more body heat or something like that and if we just lost the tie we would already feel a little bit cooler and we could we could bump the temperature up a little bit on our buildings and not use so much air conditioning where do they find these people this is the prime minister of spain that's insane. <laughs> that this is something Pope Francis would say. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like yes, uh, yes, it is. Hey, everybody, stop eating meat because we want to save the planet. Everybody, stop wearing a tie so we can save the planet. <laughs> oh well, I feel sorry for Spain, but we're not doing a whole lot better over here. No, no. Well, you know, um, I don't know if we've ever talked about it on our podcast, but we have talked personally about the, uh, let's say the drop in writing um, um, capabilities since the age of texting and spell checker and other tools and stuff like that, that kind of like, like almost guaranteed that you're you're you know you, you just write what you want and it figures out what you really want to say and you just go along with it yeah, so in I this age that. of spell checking you'd think almost the one thing you can't do is misspell a word but apparently in uh new mexico somebody misspelled albuquerque on a highway sign they've got it spelled albuquerque it, it basically missing the r we had this not this story, but there was another story. Another one, about just a, like that. A, a weird, yeah, a misspelling like that on a highway sign. This one is somewhat excusable. Albuquerque is pretty hard to spell, but Albuquerque, <laughs> I mean, the R, you need the R for it to make sense. You need sense, an R in so. there somewhere. But I, I can, you know, I, I mean, come on, when, when, when you live in the state. You're gonna how many and you're a how a many people didn't for see heaven's it. sake huh? yeah how many people did not see this they just how many they just like saw it and didn't even just, notice the misspelling yeah you know, and, that, and until the sign is actually posted on a pole on the highway didn't anyone from the time it was like, designed to the, to the time, time it was it got out there. It's like, Didn't anyone say, hey, dude, you misspelled it. No, don't hang this Although, up. you know what? I mean, it could be that these signs are, like, manufactured. Because it's not like they, like this particular sign right here. It's not yeah. like they crank out a dozen of those. There's exactly one. That's so true. it was just some guy placing those letters one after the other on the sign. But no, still, once he had the sign made, multiple people had to be involved in getting that sign from where it was made up onto that pole. Right. Anyway. You know, we were in... Hold on. Bow! You sneeze. You sneeze funny. Anyway. Um, we were eating out at a restaurant the other day. And, you know, some of these restaurants, you sit down and they have these pictures on the wall. And they, they're pictures of, like, local, local scenes and stuff like that. And there's mm-hmm. one that is the picture, a picture, like an old picture of Crown Hill Cemetery, which is like the main cemetery in Indianapolis. And yeah. I, it's like the highest point within the county or something like that, which is why it's called Crown Hill. But 
on the placard on the sign, uh, the placard on the picture where they hung it on the wall, and this is like an engraved placard, I, you know, I think. Anyway, they misspelled cemetery. They spelled it C-E-M-E-T-A-R-Y instead of E-R-Y. That's a pretty serious one. Yeah. Was, I mean, it, a, was it engraved or was it just a sign? Well, it's... Could you it's imagine the, it's engraving? Not the, it's, I, it's the engraving for the picture itself saying what this is a picture of. Okay. Not... It wasn't in the picture. It's the, the placard that's on the picture to say what it is. But the plaque was engraved, right? Well, I, th- I think it was, it's, you know, it's like a picture and then it's got a frame and then it's got a little metal ta- tag at the bottom. That's okay. what it was. And I think that was, en- I think it was engraved. Yeah. Not just printed. I could be, I could be misremembering that aspect of it. Oh, well, people but, make mistakes. Yeah. But anyway. I would never mistakenly <laughs> misspell my town's name. Like Cincinnati. That's a hard city for a lot of people to spell. You know what I mean? That's true. So I could see someone from Louisville misspelling Cincinnati. But I would never misspell it because I'm always spelling it. I always have to write it out in forms and stuff. But, oh well. It's like we we grew up kind of learning to spell Cincinnati the way you sort of learn to spell Mississippi. I just kind of roll it off the tongue. Um, Yeah. Anyway, if you ever want to know how to get to Albuquerque, there's a sign telling you. Okay. All right, last one, and this is kind of fun because didn't we talk about an emu last time? Yeah, there was an emu running down the street, kind of dodging in and out of traffic and stuff. Okay, well, this time it's not like that. Um, So this is in England, and... A guy, there was a, a driver who, like, I guess there must be a crash. Um, the, I don't see what he crashed into. Um, oh, crashed into the front of an empty shop, missed a few pedestrians, got out and started running. And a chef that was there kind of gave chase to try to chase him down. And he kind of looked drunk, you know, whatever. Um, he When he gave chase, he ended up, like, I guess going into this animal sanctuary area. Oh, the guy who was running ran into. He was running, and this huge emu, like, (laughs) I guess, got attacked or whatever. (laughs) You know, I've never, I've never been up close to an emu. I don't know how big they actually are. I, I I mean, they're not as big as ostriches, but I guess they'd be pretty big. Uh, They're the next bird after ostriches. Well, it says... uh, Okay, so the the guy who was... The the chef who was chasing him said, I could see this massive emu. I'm six foot tall, and it was bigger than me. And it kept pecking at the guy, and and, uh, the guy even tried to, like, kung fu kick it. I don't know what they mean by kung fu kick it. Maybe a sidekick or something. But, um... Finally, the guy gave up. The driver gave up and, and fled out of the area down towards a river. And by that time, the chef was able to flag down a police car or something like that. But um, <laughs> You know what? They are taller than ostriches sometimes. Oh, okay. Uh, well, no. I guess... Okay. It says 
They can be six and a half feet one tall. One of the world's biggest birds. Mm-hmm. Six and a half feet tall. Feet. Okay. Huh. I wouldn't <laughs> want to fight one. I know that. No. If I were drunk, running from a chef that I had just wrecked into, and then one attacked me, I would lay low and be like, all right, I'll go to jail, because I don't want to fight the emu. Thing is, what <laughs> you crash your truck into a store, and then you get out and run. What do you think? They're not going to like yeah, track why is that? you are from your truck tags and stuff like that. <laughs> Well, I don't know how it is in England, but I know around here, what you do is, okay, you wreck, run to a bar and drink, and the cop has to prove that you were drunk when you were in the car. I know oh. people who have done this. Okay, yeah. It's, it's I wrecked not my about... car, and I went to a bar to call the police, but I had a drink while I was there. And that's so why I'm not drunk about, now. Uh, it's not about avoiding responsibility for the crash it's about avoiding a drunk driving ticket yeah DUI or, or whatever okay that's yeah I, I, I didn't even think of it some guy cars. some guy outside our house when we lived on St. Martin's we heard this big bang in the middle of the night and I go out there and this guy's kind of getting out of the car he's all dazed and he looked around looked at me and then just ran and I'm like <laughs> okay whatever dude uh, what you're Driver's like, and then he ran back, reached in, grabbed his keys, and then ran again. So I guess his plan is to say that the car was stolen. No, I think he was going to say the car was stolen. But if his keys were in there, it'd be like, no, it wasn't. You drove it here. There's your keys. So I think that kind of stuff happens a lot. And ouch, that's probably what it was. Yeah. Okay. But the emu saved the day. Yep. All right. So, two emu stories in two weeks. Wow. There we go. Was it last week that I did the one running down the highway or the week before? Yeah, that was last week. Okay. So, (laughs) anyway, that's all I got. All right. Well, that gives us a couple hours, so... Think about what we said, folks, and as always, keep circling those beads. We'll see you next week. Bye, everyone.